Dear God, Holy Christ, King of our lives, Spirit, hear us as we come before your altar to submit our lives, knowing that we have much to comprehend today. At the beginning of this new year, this new decade, we have, we have deeply troubling things to consider. We are unsettled, Lord, by the possibility that what seemed familiar and safe may be disrupted somehow. We're unsettled, Lord, by the possibility that, that our interpretations of what is fair and right may be put to the test. We're unsettled, Lord, that we might be separated from dear friends because of irreconcilable differences of opinion. We, we're troubled, Lord, by the possibility that powers who are far more significant and have much more effect on human well-being are also doing the same thing. And it is frightening to think, Lord, that in the battle between good and evil, the battle between Western thought and Eastern thought, and the battle between, the battle between ideologies that are informed by your spirit and ideologies that are informed in some other way. The, the, all of it is so complex, Lord, and yet it comes down to this. We live in a violent, unsettled world. And where the violence isn't physical in nature, there's plenty of it that comes out of the mouths and across the airwaves and across the internet. There's lots of violence out there that involves verbal punches to the mouth and and uh, assassinations of character, and it, it's ugly, and it troubles us deeply, Lord. And so we ask on this first Sunday of the year that we at Shiloh could be united with each other as a family, and unlike in any family, there are some siblings who, who are very different from the other, and there are some members of every household and every family who who, while they differ in opinions about certain things, have a deep love for each other because we're family, we're united. We, as the body of Christ, are united by the spiritual blood that flows through us, the Holy Spirit. And so we ask that that spirit might drive us, especially as we anticipate difficult conversations, hard decisions, and as we anticipate watching the news with our children and grandchildren and trying to help them not to be afraid. We trust, Lord, that your word informed us that things would be this way, and we trust that you will come again one day. And whether we are here to see it in the flesh or to see it as we rise to meet you in the sky from our graves, we will see you again, and we will see your reign over things. So we take confidence in that, Lord, when we don't know what else to do. We take confidence that we have each other. We pray, Lord, that 2020 will be a year that makes us more, more affectionate and more committed to one another than ever before. That we might really be a family of faith and that we might be a welcoming family, Lord, that takes all who wish to join in your name and to be filled with your spirit to be our kin, 
Well, God, hear us as we pray for these big things. And then, of course, Lord, whether they're spoken or not, you know the little things or the lesser things. You, you know about the sicknesses and the diagnoses, and you know about the surgeries and the accidents, and you know about the social ills that are more personal and local. We know about, you know about work relationships and uh, family relationships. None of it goes beyond your awareness. And for the praying, spirit-led believer, there is hope and there are answers. Lord, reveal those plainly through your divine impartation or through a saint who has come alongside the one who suffers or in some other way according to your will. Hear us as we plead with you, Lord, to make us one with you and one with each other, just as you are one with the Father and the Holy Spirit, Christ our King, whose words we now share together as our conclusion. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, let's do some Bible study. That's always fun. It makes me feel better. First of all, you'll want to turn to Galatians chapter 5, at, starting at verse 16 in your Bible. If you want to use a pew Bible, you'll find it on page 1157, 1157. It'll be down at the bottom right-hand corner of that page is where you start. While you find that, let me remind you that I have joyfully prepared lesson guides for each of the Sundays related to the sermons that are out there on paper every week and also available to you through the email, through the app. Uh, I've given special access to your Sunday school teachers and to the various staff and leaders in the church. I, I put a great deal of time into these and happily and joyfully, but I have these prepared all the way out past Easter. And so if you're looking for a way to enhance your spiritual life over the next uh, decade, over this coming new year, not only to listen to the sermons on Sunday morning, but to give yourself an opportunity to see my discernment process outlined so that you can make your own discernment and make your own decisions about these passages and so forth. So I invite you to use these studies with your family, with your small groups, and I encourage you to do that even as you can also listen to uh, Bible studies that I lead online with our podcast. And uh, for 2020, I've just started to write, I'm going to start writing a blog, so we'll see how that goes. And uh, bottom line is, is I want to do everything I can to impart you, to you all the tools that will help you to grow and to be disciples who are seeking disciples so that we can be vital to this community and thus transform our world. Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 16, the Apostle Paul says to the church at Galatia, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and have, whoops, turned too many pages, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. 
for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and before that, uh, and, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, I couldn't resist. I remember when Courtney and I were planning. Believe it or not, this passage was chosen months ago. <laughs> Just keep that in mind. If you want to know whether the Holy Spirit's at work, trust me. What we talked about earlier was today's news, and it was fresh out of my mouth, related to things that have happened in the last couple of days, and yet this passage I just read to you was chosen months ago. You sort it out. But I couldn't resist the urge that everybody's using this 2020 year as a correlation between the year 2020 and 2020 vision, so I had to jump on the bandwagon and do that too. So we're going to spend a few weeks talking about 2020 Christian vision. And you know, the interesting thing about this concept is, is that some of you, uh, like my daughter Bethany, were born with great vision and have never needed corrective lenses. But then there are people like my wife, Laura, and myself who need corrective lenses in order to have 2020 vision. And without them, we just don't see things the way they really are. And I can just tell you that if I were to sum up the nature of humanity after the fall, it is that we're all born without 2020 Christian vision. We all need corrective lenses in order to have 2020 Christian vision. It's required. So if you're fortunate enough not to require contacts or eyeglasses, I, I'm glad for you. I envy you, frankly. And uh, well, wait, we just read that that's a bad thing. I'm tempted to envy you. <laughs> I'm tempted. But I can tell you that we all will have to put on new glasses if we're going to have 20-20 Christian vision. And I can tell you that those glasses, from what I know to be true, are biblical and Judeo-Christian tradition. Those are the glasses. Those are the lenses that you look at the world through in order to see things the way they really are biblical Judeo-Christian tradition. And that worldview helps you to see the way things really are and to, to be clear in your vision. It is a worldview that only works, even if you put on that lens, it will only work if you are also enhanced by the Holy Spirit or born again. John the Baptist said that 
he would baptize them for repentance, but that one was coming who would baptize them with the Holy Spirit. And of course, that came to pass. And this whole new paradigm of spirit-filled living started on an occasion that's recorded in the Bible as Pentecost. And so from then on, the body of Christ was made up of those who had surrendered their old life, died to the flesh, and embraced a new life in Christ, therefore being born again and inviting the Holy Spirit within them to crank up the heat and get to work. I heard it said years ago by a certain pastor in London, England, that, that we've all been given the Holy Spirit when we're born again, but, but for many of us it remains a pilot light. And what it really needs is to be turned up. So if you go down to the kitchen in our church and you look at our gas stove down there, you'll see a pilot light burning somewhere down inside it. But when it really gets busy and does its work is when somebody turns the knob and cranks up the heat. And so we all need to welcome the Holy Spirit to not only be present in us, but to begin to really change our nature and to, most importantly, change our worldview. I hope, for example, that as I shared prayer concerns with you a few minutes ago, that you could hear underlying my interpretation of things, my Judeo-Christian biblical worldview, that you could hear me saying, as I look at these things, I see truth from Scripture and from the Spirit being fulfilled. The Apostle Paul said in the, this passage that we read that the, the worldview a person has affects the things we do and the way we do them. That's really what he was saying. And if you do a really in-depth examination of your life, you may be a little unsettled to find that you maybe devote yourself to far more matters of the flesh than you'd care to admit. We all do. It's, as I said, our nature after the fall. And for this reason, we have to be alert and diligent in resisting the things of the flesh. Now, now Paul, he doesn't mince words. He tells it just straight up. And he says, you know, the, 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 the flesh pursues idolatry, strife and jealousy and anger and rivalries and, and uh, drunkenness and, well, some other things that aren't as pleasant to think about. And yet what he's trying to say is, is that when you satisfy the flesh, you'll get what you seek, but it will only drive you further away from your creator, your God. And if I were to sum up what he was saying, I would just put it this way. When you are your own God, then your creator can't be your God. It really boils down to that. When you are more concerned with satisfying your flesh than serving your king, Christ Jesus, then all of the things that Paul speaks of here will be evident in your life. So your attitude about God and yourself will determine how close or how far you are from experiencing a, a high-quality relationship with God and, and how well your 2020 vision is or how far you are from 2020 Christian vision. 
Good thing is, is Paul didn't stop at the bad stuff. He went on to say, now, if you're looking for a way to tell, this is, this is how you could look at this. If, if you've ever done the eye examination where they put the chart in front of you and without corrective lenses, you're asked to read the smallest print you can see. And if you're me, it's somewhere near the top of the page, right? And, and then sometimes I'm wrong, which is deeply frustrating. <laughs> and then Paul says, but if you've gotten the 2020 correction of Judeo-Christian biblical tradition, what will happen is, is you begin to read print that looked a blur to you once that is down lower on the eye chart. And when that happens, what you will see is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Isn't that amazing? It's kind of like if you were in the eye exam and you looked at the chart and all you could see was anger, envy, je uh, jealousy, and strife, and fleshly uh, fulfillment. And then you put the, cur you know, and then the guy, you know, the, the, the Todd Gunderson moves that thing in front of your face and starts going, now, what do you see? And suddenly you realize you can see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the signs that you're changing, that your nature is becoming more like that of the spirit that dwells within you. And what's really amazing is Paul says, there's no law for that. See, the amazing thing about the law is Paul understood it. And remember, Paul described himself as a Pharisee of Pharisees. He described himself as someone who had been raised in all of the traditions of a faithful Jewish Pharisee. And he recognizes that the law that they so dedicatedly, devotedly upheld did not have a response for these spiritual gifts. That it could prohibit the nasty stuff that he describes, but the law had no way of providing for the good stuff. And so what he's saying is, is that the, the law is irrelevant in the spirit-filled believer's life because the law in itself is a thing of the flesh. It's a thing that if you adhere to it, at least while everybody's looking, you can take pride in and therefore you are worshiping yourself, not the spirit of the law that imparted it to Moses in essentially five little phrases we call the Ten Commandments. Five because each one describes your relationship with God and your relationship with each other. So Paul is making it really clear to you that one of the things you got to do is give up legalism. Now, when I talked earlier about the crisis that's facing the church, one of the things I mentioned is the embracing of traditional beliefs and so forth is, is one of the outcomes that we could have. But there's a grave danger of pharisaical legalism. There's a grave danger when we become committed to human interpretations of goodness and morality and rightness or not. I, I guess I'm saying that you could be on either side of that spectrum and still be more pharisaical and legalistic than spiritual and spirit-led. And what we have to seek is the spiritual ground and not the secular legalistic interpretation of each other's actions and sacred worth. There's really one sacred worth 
as I digress momentarily, and it's the worth that Christ appoints to us by dying for us, and that's for every living being. And the ground we stand on where we're most likely to get it right is what God described as holy ground when Moses had to take off his shoes and step into the Lord's presence. And so there's where we want to try to go and try to avoid falling into the trap of legalism on both sides of the human interpretation of morality and other religious matters. Paul says the work of the Spirit, as I said, has no compatibility with the law that doesn't fit. And he invites us then in another part of his letter to the Galatians to remember that we are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Do you get that? After we let go of the law, we're no longer enslaved by the law. Come on now, I took a road trip yesterday to go see some of my children, see all of my children in one place. Praise God, hallelujah, that hasn't happened in a decade. And I saw how some people refused to be enslaved by the law because they blew my doors off as I was trying to observe the speed limit, not in a legalistic way, but because it seemed like a good idea with slush and rain and snow and everything. And, and there were people who would fly by me without any regard for the law. And the, the honest truth is, is that's a pretty good interpretation of what we're talking about. You can either be enslaved by the law or you can be so utterly ignorant of the law that you do things that endanger you. And what Paul wants you to understand is, is that, that you're no longer slaves to the law, but you are now sons and daughters through the Holy Spirit. And any parent knows, and every person who has had a parent, I think that counts for everybody here. If you once had a parent, remember your parent or a parent figure in your life, then you know that they exercise a certain authority over your life. And sometimes they tell you to slow down so you don't get hurt. Sometimes they tell you to mind your, uh, you know, mind the gaps and, and duck your head and things like that because, well, they care about you. And so it's not a law, but it is a loving, compassionate authority and leadership over your life. And this is what Paul's driving at is you, you let go of the law and you embrace the lawgiver as a parent. Later on, Peter says in his first letter that we're actually going to be partakers in the divine nature. That means that we're not only sons and daughters, but we're going to start looking like our heavenly father. Getting my whole family together with all my children being adults and taking a big picture and looking at it later, I realize those poor kids, some of them are starting to look a little like their old man. I told them to take after their mother. She's prettier. But darn it, some of them have some of my physical characteristics. And if you knew my father, you'd see his physical characteristics in me. When you become part of God's family and you embrace this new birth in the Holy Spirit, you start to look like your heavenly father. And that's a pretty good thing. It's a decision you make, and I just want to say one thing, because I'm very aware of this in my own life and in some other people's lives, but, but it is an adoption, and, and some of you know, if you want to understand the, the pain that God feels 
when you have accepted God's adoption. See, think about the divisions in the church and the divisions among Christians who not only you know, are, are divided over their religion, but they're just divided politically in all the ways that we're divided in our country right now. And imagine how God is seeing children of adoption who have rejected their adopted father, their adopted parent. Because it's essentially what they're doing. They once came into the fold as, as uh, by their own desire and by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. They became adopted sons and daughters. But then as time went by, they got more wrapped up in their politics and their, their uh, personal tastes and their religious leanings and so forth. And, and as they did that, it's like the parent, and I know one whose adopted child has kind of rejected him at this point. I was a dad whose adopted child rejected him for a while, but yesterday we were all together in one place and we felt great love and joy and the family was back in one place in a way that was glorious. So can you imagine that our Father in heaven grieves over those. It says in Galatians in another place that you can grieve the Holy Spirit and you grieve the Holy Spirit by rejecting the Spirit's presence in you, the new blood that flows through you spiritually. And when you pull away from God, even though you were invited to be part of the family, it's very painful, I think, for God causes grief. And what we need to do, especially in the coming year, is make sure that here at Shiloh, we are devoted to our Heavenly Father through Christ our King, that we are not going to grieve the Father by pulling away from the Lord because of our political and our moral and our personal tastes and so forth. It's going to be hard work, my friends. But beloved, we can do it with the help of the Holy Spirit and by encouraging one another. And here's my last word on how we do that. We commit to it. Today I wore the robe because I wanted this to feel special. And one of the ways that the robe reminds me of my particular priestly role is in how it gives me a way of communicating sacred values to you. And I got to walk over to my hymnal because I lost my piece of paper. We are going to pray the Wesleyan Covenant Prayer. Have you done that before? If you were here last year at the first Sunday of the year, it's, it's uh, number 607 in your hymnal. I want you to look those words over as soon as you dial that up. Number 607. I have made it a personal privilege and a pastoral duty every first Sunday of the year to lead the congregation in praying this prayer. And I will assure you that if you pray it, God will hold you accountable to it. So read the words and make sure before you say this to the Lord that you're ready to try to live into it. And, and you know, trust me, you won't live into it perfectly, but the Lord will not forget your covenant commitment to God. And you'll find yourself moving closer to God because you prayed this prayer. But don't pray unless you're ready, because this is our corporate act of worship. Will you join me now in saying these words out loud if you feel ready? Heavenly Father, I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. 
Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee, exalted for thee or brought low by thee. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine, and I am thine. So be it, and the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. And trust me, it will be ratified in heaven. It's sort of like when you sign a document that re gets recorded at uh, the courthouse, and maybe later on you forget that promise, but it's still on record at the courthouse. And at some point it might come back to haunt you. But welcome this particular one, will you? Let us pray. For your word, peace, burn it upon our hearts and change our lives forever as we enter this new year and this new time in the life of this place called Shiloh and this family of faith that you have gathered here. May you be glorified and praised. May you be honored and obeyed. And please, Lord, help us with your Holy Spirit's power to overcome our human frailty and to embrace holy ground and the holy writ and truth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. 